Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Welcome to City Church. You guys okay? Microphone's a little hot. They'll bring it down. Really glad you guys are here. It is not 30 degrees in the room. Who's excited about that? If you're here last week, it was cold enough to like have penguins living in this room. It was so cold. So Woo, it's not cold anymore. Hey, so glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest with us in the room, we're so glad you're here. If you're joining us for the first time online, also glad that you're here. Really grateful to have you. My name is Drake. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's an honor to be gathering with you this morning. We are in the middle of a series on identity, calling, and community, and the series is building on itself, and so you can go back and pick up the last two messages on our podcast, our YouTube channel, and they're all complementing one another, so I highly recommend that you do that. It's been really amazing hearing the stories that are coming out of these weekend gatherings as well as then how we're moving that into these city groups that we have that meet weekly, processing this stuff in community. And so I just want to encourage you to take advantage of those spaces if you are just now catching up with us. Now, we are committed here at City Church to practicing the way of Jesus together in Boulder. And listen, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey today, you are loved, safe, and welcome here at City Church. And we mean that. Our desire is very simply to meet you where you are, help you take some next steps in your journey, whatever that might mean for you today. And so really genuinely glad that you're here. Now, last week was a super important catalyst for today's conversation. Don't, don't worry, you're not going to like feel left out, but there's a big part of the identity conversation. We're asking those big questions. Who am I, and who is God, and who am I in relation to God, and what does that mean for this life that I am living? And we've been pressing into some of those really deep questions and in the process of self-discovery. And we've been answering the question, we, we, we say it like this a lot at City Church, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Not just a cognitive rearranging of the mental furniture of your mind toward a set of beliefs that hopefully have some kind of influence about what happens to you when you die. It's not the invitation of Jesus. The invitation from Jesus is to follow him. And we talk about that here at City Church as organizing our lives around three very specific things. When Jesus invites us to follow him, we'll look at it today, he means that we are invited first to be with Jesus, then to become like Jesus, and lastly, to do what Jesus did. That's the very specific invitation from Jesus himself when, it become, when, when he extends that for you and I to be a follower of Jesus. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. And so the question we're asking in this series is, who are you becoming? No matter your stage of life, no matter your season of life, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you've had in your control or out of your control, you are becoming whether intentionally or not, into the person that you are today and into the future. And so as we, as we think through this process, the goal of this series is just to equip you to begin to think and dig underneath the surface of who God has called you and created you to be. Even if you're not sure what you believe about God and what you believe about Jesus and where you stand with that whole church and Jesus thing, we believe there's a God who loves you, has a plan for, you, for your life, created you on a purpose, and with that purpose comes incredible joy and peace in this life and relationship with him. So to kind of help us kick it off, just back in the same vein, I have a couple of quotes for you just to reform our understanding of this series. So this is from St. Augustine. He said, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? 
Grant, Lord, this is his, uh, his famous prayer, that I might know myself, that I might know thee. And so there's this incredible tie between the knowledge of self and God. Now, this is not, you know, internal enlightenment, God's in everybody, and you just got to get to know yourself, and this hippie, we're not, we're not, that's not this invitation. This is, that there's something incredibly beautiful about the understanding of knowing self and getting to know God. J.I. Pecker says it this way. He said, a little knowledge of God is better than a great deal of knowledge about God. Now, I don't, I don't know your background, but the Western kind of culture of church has been information saturated with very little activity or change that comes from it. And so you, you know this because this is probably true of you, just like it's true of me. I can know all the right things, and it doesn't necessarily bring about transformation in my life. And J.I. Packer's getting at this space of, of not just information, but relationship. That a little knowledge of God is better than a great deal of knowledge about God in the sense of what we're talking about when it comes to relationship. And John Mark Comer says it this way, identity and calling is not something that you create, which is maybe where we, we get some of the pressure that we feel around this conversation, but rather it's something that you discover from your creator. All those people are way smarter than me, and so uh, now we're just going to pray and go home, okay? It's a joke. Uh, they are smarter than me, but we're not going home, okay? Not yet. So Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, if you want to follow on the screen, it's also in the Bibles and the seatbacks in front of you. You're welcome to those. Those are a gift for you if you'd like to take them home. But this is Jesus having a conversation with a guy named Matthew. Matthew is actually the author of the letter that we're reading, Matthew chapter 9. So it's kind of a cool that you kind of watch this swing forward. But let's watch this call from Jesus and just, just figure out what you're going to do with it, okay? So Jesus is, is moving on, and he said... Uh, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth, and Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. Now, cultural context, a tax collector is like the scum of the earth, and so Jesus is this awesome rabbi. People are super, super inspired and interested in him. They're not quite sure if they like him or not yet. He's doing some really cool miracles. All this stuff is happening. And then Jesus starts to hang out with people that look nothing like him, live nothing like him, think nothing like him. And it really starts to ruffle feathers. And Matthew is one of those guys who has betrayed his own people to work for the Roman government and use his position not only to tax for the government, but then he could add whatever on top of that tax to fill his own pockets. So no one likes this guy. And Jesus looks right at him and says, follow me. And if there's anybody with Jesus in this moment, they gasp, maybe even sick to their stomach a little bit. The feeling of disgust that they would have in this moment is something you and I can't quite wrap our, our, our heads around. And so then Matthew gets up and follows Jesus who's in that moment. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, which is super cool of Jesus, by the way, he just like invites himself over for dinner at people's houses. So like Practicing the way of Jesus, that should be something we start doing, okay? So just, hey, what are you doing this Wednesday? What's on the menu? Sweet, I'll be there. It's a great plan. So Jesus invites himself over for dinner, and many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And so this is awesome party with a bunch of people who look nothing like Jesus, a bunch of outcasts, a bunch of people who fit n not even close into the religious expectations of the day. And then Matthew goes on and he tells us, when the Pharisees, these are like the religious elite, the super self-righteous, following all the rules to a T, they, they look at this situation and they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
Which is really interesting because you know like Matthew and all of his buddies are sitting around the table in this moment when Jesus says that. So Matthew and all of his friends are there and, and I, we can just assume that like they're, the Pharisees are on the outside asking these questions and it's like G- Jesus kind of leans over in the middle of this big party towards these self-righteous guys who are trying to throw rocks outside and he says, hey, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. And then Matthew's sitting right there and he's like, I think he's talking about me. And, uh, and then they're, and I think they just kind of like nod their heads and like, yeah, and they just keep on partying, right? Like they just kind of accept it for the reality that it is. And then watch this. Matthew goes on and he tells us to, to the Pharisees, but go and learn what this means. And he pulls out a verse that they would have had memorized, but fortunately ignored. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous or those who think they have it all together, but sinners. So this is the call from Jesus. And that word call in the Greek, it's the word kaleo. It can literally like to call as we see it happening, but it also can mean where we get the word vocation from. And so think not just like this calling to follow Jesus, but like we're, we're talking about your calling in life. Like why do I exist? What makes me come alive on the inside? What makes the biggest difference in the world around me? We see this in the invitation to follow Jesus, but it's really interesting that three times in this story, Jesus uses the word sinner. And I don't know your background, and, and I don't know how you feel about that. Some of us just have an allergic reaction to that word. You're like, oh man, here it is. But for, this is really interesting because Jesus uses this word three times in this one scenario, and it's actually rarely used in the rest of these letters. And so there's really intentional language happening for Jesus and Matthew in this moment as they capture what's happening. So I want you to think about it. This is Matthew, the tax collector that Jesus is having, who has a reputation, is, is considered far from God and a sinner, whatever that means, and, and, and he's got this reputation. And the same Matthew is also now the author of the letter that you and I are reading 2,000 years later. So we can assume that something amazing and transformational happens between the Matthew in this story and the Matthew that is pinning these letters. You guys tracking with me? We're talking about who we're becoming and what's the difference between these two guys. And so as we look at the the, the call, what we we don't want to miss here is that Jesus calls sinners. So, so, So this is something you and I maybe need to lean into and pay attention to. What does it mean for Jesus to have his attention on sinners, and what does that mean for me? And again, if you're allergic to that word, don't worry, lean in, it'll, it'll be okay. Um, but again, as we look at this, there's two dimensions to the spiritual journey that we're, that we're going on together. The inward journey is what we're talking about today, and this is not solve all your problems today, this is just to kind of give you some tools to work with it, but moving from who we are, the inward journey, moving from who we are, we see this in Matthew, to who we're becoming as followers of Jesus. So this is not just a journey of identity, but of character formation. So again, we see a transition in the life of Matthew. The question is, who are you becoming if you're a Jesus follower? And if you're not a Jesus follower, the invitation today is no judgment for you. Jesus has no expectation for people who are not his followers to act like it. So there's no judgment, there's no condemnation for you. There's just an invitation to consider what it means to follow Jesus. So the inward journey is discovering who am I becoming from where I am today to who I am becoming in the image of Jesus. And then the outward journey, we're going to talk about this next week, is what we go out and actually do 
with the persons that we are becoming in the world around us. And so those two go hand in hand, and we'll look at both of them together. But they're both part of this journey. So before we get into it, i got a couple of resources for you. Um, so number one, this is a book we've talked about a lot. If you go through our growth track, by the way, Maddie uh, gave that invitation, and we mean it. If, if you've not been through our growth track, you're not signing anything, you're not married to anything, 30 minutes after service, it's a great way to kind of take, take a next step here at City Church and just learn a little bit more about what it means to be a part of this family. So you're definitely invited, even if you didn't sign up. But... If you join the team at City Church, one of the resources we give you is this right here, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. That's not a pitch to join the team, by the way. Like, you're welcome to just go on Amazon and buy this book, okay? So whatever you need to do, my point is we believe in this book a lot, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, we've talked about the last couple of weeks, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, so I highly recommend that you pick that up. By the way, I don't know if you knew this, stats, the average American male reads less than one book per, per, per year. And I don't think you get to, like, if you're in school or anything, and those books don't count, okay? Like, of your own volition. The average American male, I don't know what it is for women, sorry. I uh, uh, just looked at my own stat. So uh, the average American male leads, reads less than one book per year. And so in the spiritual formation journey, as we dig into the scriptures and the rhythms of, like, living life in Jesus, picking up one book, if you can read at least one book this year, you're better than, you know, 90% of the other dudes. And uh, you can feel good about yourself and be self-righteous. That's great. That's the, the invitation from Jesus. Okay, <laughs> just... Going on. The number two, The Gift of Being Yourself by David Benner. This book has wrecked me. I only recommend it because the Holy Spirit told me to, but I hated it. Um, only because it exposed all kinds of stuff inside of me that was so uncomfortable and challenging, but also very good for me. So we'll talk about that today. A lot of today's conversation is built out of this book. And so I highly recommend it because he's way smarter and does a way better job of giving you all the pieces. But man, it has been very formational for me in this journey. And then uh, the last book that I recommend is Garden City by John Mark Comer. And this is a beautiful book on on wrestling with the tensions of vocation and identity. That, that you're not just, you know, this person that's loved and then, and then the rest of what you do with your life doesn't matter. But, but God has put you on this planet for a purpose and there are things that your hands are meant to do to, to bring glory to God, joy to you, and benefit to the world around you. So, incredible book that I highly recommend. Um, and those are all just resources for you because we can't cover it all um, in, in, in one sitting. You guys cool with that? All right, let's move on. So as soon as uh, you, you and I set on a, off on this inner journey, how many of you guys like The Hobbit? All I can, as, as we've been talking about this journey thing, all I can see is that scene when he's running out of his little hobbit hole with the paper in his hand, and he's like, where are you going? I'm going on a journey. Um, and, and it's super cool, and it's exciting, and if you don't like The Hobbit, well, then just ignore my analogy. Um, but it's a wonderful one, but what's, what I love about it is he like, goes off on this journey, and he's intimidated by it, and it's scary, but it's awesome, and you're like, oh man, maybe I should, and then what happens? All kinds of disillusionment and challenge and hard stuff comes out, both about him personally and around him on this journey, and it's like one of those spaces, like he's glad he went, but he's not sure he re he's really glad he went. That's exactly what we're doing today. The journey to discovering self is exciting and amazing and terrible and so depressing and wonderful all at the same time, okay? It's just like a cup of coffee. It's wonderful. And so I want to encourage you that, that, that this journey is meant to be in community. And, and I want you to know, listen, we're not a perfect community, um, but we're committed to the values of Jesus. We're committed to, committed to the scriptures. When we get it wrong, we try to correct and, and, and move forward. We try to hold each other accountable, but we want to be a safe place to process the things that God is doing, and that's where our city groups come in. So as soon as you guys, you, you and I, set off on this journey, this inner journey of self-discovery, the first wall we run into is our sin. 
And this word sin, again, I, we were talking about it earlier, depending on your background, like you can just have this allergic reaction. This is such a loaded word in our culture, especially like depending on how you've grown up. There can be a lot of hurt associated with this word, where we live like in a culture currently, if you've been anywhere around kind of the, the Christian church over the last, you know, 60 years, where this is like culture-wide overreaction to some of the damage that, that this word has brought about based on just maybe its misuse or like kind of this fire and brimstone. I was, I was meeting with someone earlier this week who's not a follower of Jesus and said, hey, tell me about your spiritual journey and kind of give me some of the background stuff. But then like one of the stories that they have is like, yeah, I, and I don't remember all of the pieces, but this this person told me that uh, uh, I was going to die and go to hell. <laughs> that's like the only context they had about Jesus. And I'm like, wow, that's super encouraging. Yeah, uh, can't, can't imagine why you never, never came back. Um, and, and so, you know, like depending on the spaces that you've been exposed to and grown up in, like, like there's just hard swings. And I just want to acknowledge that there are like some heaviness and, and the church has got it wrong a lot, including our church, but like uh, over the, the past, and, and there's just some damage that's been done. So this, this is just a hard conversation at times, depending on your, um, your background. Now, there's also, I would say, a culture-wide, not, not in the Christian church, but just in the West in general, a, a culture-wide denial of what theologians would call your sin nature, what we see in the scriptures, what Jesus calls sin, and calling sinners, right? I mean, this is language from Jesus, so if you're mad, be mad at him. But but this idea of original sin, that we're born into brokenness, there's something bent on the inside of us that, that we can't unbend ourselves. And, and what's really interesting, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but in our culture, there seems to be a shock every time this bent, every time sin kind of shows up. And if you don't like that word, you can use the word brokenness or, or, or whatever. But, but every time we see this thing come out in a way that kind of gets publicized, our world is kind of shocked by it, right? I mean, you think about like the corruption that, that, that people kind of get shocked by in political leaders. You're like, oh, I can't believe, and I'm not going to throw any names out at all so that we can all leave here friends. But the idea is, right, we, we look at corruption in political leaders and immediately, right, what happens? I, people are shocked by some things that people do or say. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, the leader of, of Shambhala, which is one of the Buddhist uh, um, uh, uh, schools here in Boulder, um, had this crazy big thing happen that... Uh, um, uh, Kinds of, all kinds of like sexual misconduct and like it, it was a really bad thing. And I remember one of my really close friends who was a practicing Buddhist was just disillusioned by the leader of this movement now being fired and kicked out and all these stories. And, and, and you're shocked by that, right? It's so sad. But then just so you, you're, you're clear, uh, um, there's like when I, when I, I became a Christian at like 15 and I can remember like stories since that moment. Like there's this mega church pastor that I was following when I was you know, maybe in my early 20s, who's fired for drunkenness and struggling with alcohol. And there's another mega church pastor that's fired because he was basically a bully. And, uh, uh, and then there's another mega church pastor that was fired because he slept with someone that was underage. Now he's in prison. And then there's like, my, my wife has this story of her, the pastor that, that was a, a part of her church that uh, uh, when she was younger, uh, um, I think, if I remember the story correctly, and she can correct me later if I'm wrong, but uh, um, ran away with the secretary, committed adultery, stole all the money, and then burned the building to the ground. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a little bit of trauma, right? Like, uh, that's why she said she never marry a pastor. And uh, somehow, here we are. But, right, like, and, and, and I, I just share those stories because, um, to, to be clear, this sin is not, like, isolated. This brokenness inside of this, this human condition that we're dealing with. And, and if I can just be honest before we, like, throw rocks at the world around us, um, the church has consistently done foolish, hypocritical, and harmful things in the name of Jesus. Um, and, and, and by the church, I don't mean the leaders of the church only. I, I mean church collectively, right? Jesus talks about the church as his body, 
his followers, we collectively, myself included. And, and, and to be clear, when the church messes up, uh, which, which she does often, um, we should repent of those things. And I hope that we do continually. But, but to be clear on the space, the repentance is that we, we, we turn from whatever is against God's will that's harmful or unloving, and we turn back to God's will and the authority of the scriptures. So the key when we mess up for the church, this is different from the culture around us, is that we turn back to God and the scriptures for correction, not the cultural narrative around us. And, and that's a big part of some of the overswinging that we see. Oh, we messed up here, so let's go all the way over here and do it differently. And again, there's a middle ground, I think, that is... Um, uh, the space that Jesus calls us to, it's very messy, it's very hard, and, uh, but again, I think it's the best space that we honor God and love people. Now, I say all that just simply to help us kind of get that feeling of like, where does that shock come from? And so we see brokenness happen, and, and our normal response, especially like it seems like in, in some of the generations happening right now, is our immediate response is, man, we just need better systems, we need better leaders, we need better accountability, we, need, right, we have all these fixes to the brokenness that we see, and by the way, I'm all for those things. We are all for those things. But the reality is they're, they're not enough on their own. That, that what we're trying to do is have the kingdom of God without the king. What we're trying to do is have justice without Jesus. And the reality is there's this thing called the human condition, this sin, this bent away from God that while we can try to manage it, and don't get me wrong, there's spaces to, to always make improvement, it is a struggle and a challenge. And by the way, just a quick side note, if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, I, I told you in the beginning, none of this conversation today it carries judgment or shame for you because there's no expectation from Jesus for those that are not his followers to act like it. And if you've ever experienced that, that weight, that heaviness, that judgment from Christians, I'd like to apologize on, on behalf of the church and Jesus because you're genuinely loved, safe, and welcome. And by the way, when we say that, it's not because we always get it right, but because we are committed to the way of Jesus. And the beauty of community is when we get it wrong, and we do, it's one of our values, when we get it wrong, and we, when, and we do, God's love and this community, it calls us to repentance so we can grow and continue to become people of, of love under Jesus' authority in our lives. So I say all of that to help us frame up what we're about to talk about because of all of these massive swings that we experience in our culture. So here's the lie that is a result of how we deal with the brokenness in our culture. And the lie is, oh man, we can, we can manufacture the kingdom of God, the, the good things we see from Jesus without King Jesus himself. And this kink that we have of the human condition is not something that we can deal with by a system. So to give you a definition, sin is a failure to trust God and his definition of good and evil. Literally, the, uh, this word sin in the, in the Greek, it means to miss the mark. But I think it, it, it's more valuable that we flesh this out, that when Jesus is calling sinners and when God calls it sin, and we're reading that, what are we talking about? A failure to trust God and his definition of good and evil. If there is a God who is good and loves you, anything he asks of you, we can assume, it, it, just play that logic forward. If he really is good and he really does love you, anything that he asks of us is for our good or for the good of our neighbor. There's a reason for it. It's not just because he, he likes rules and you know you, you can have too much fun, so he, makes, he puts a limit on it. Right? There's actually a goodness to 
trusting in God and his plan for our lives. And so to sin is to set aside or put ourselves in the place of creator, to redefine morality on our own terms, to live in such a way that the scripture authors talk about bringing about death instead of life. So here's a quote from Richard Rohr that I think really flushes this out well. He says, sins are fixations that prevent the energy of life, God's love specifically, from flowing freely. They are self erected blockades that cut us off from God and hence from our own authentic potential. So to be your true self, to be all that God has created you to be, is to deal with your whole self, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And Richard Ward talks about it here like there's this blockade. So I want you to think in in the terms of relationship and not religion, that there's this blockade of intimacy with this God, this Father who loves you. So this is not rules and regulations, this is relationship. Just like if you were to sin, you don't have to use that word, but if, you were, if, if someone sins against you or you sin against them, what happens? There's a blockade in that relationship, isn't there? There's an issue that needs to be resolved. In the same way, sin is a blockade in the relationship with God who loves us. There's a distance that is put in that space. And so again, we don't want to look at this as a legal category, but a relational category. And so here's what's interesting is that Jesus compares sin to an illness that needs healing. Did you guys catch that? I came... Not for those who are healthy, but those who are sick to call sinners. He, he, he compares sin to an, an illness that needs healing. So did you know, in the, in the Greek, the word saved, every time you see that word, saved and healing is the same word in the Greek. It's sozo. Every time you see the word saved, every time you see the word healed or healing, it's the same Greek word, meaning for Jesus to save us is for Jesus to heal us, to make us whole. And Jesus wants to come into our illness, if you will, this human condition, this bent of brokenness, and and help us to become who we were really created to be. Now, now you know this. Sin is not just a behavior issue. So there's this book uh, called The Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland that is is solid and uh, a little heady, so I didn't put any quotes on there for you. I'm going to summarize just so we can kind of feel this together. I'm going to give my personal examples because I've got plenty of those. We talked about how I'm just like totally emotionally dysfunctional, and I've all, I got all kinds of baggage that I'd love to share with you to make you feel better about yourself. So here we are. Okay. So uh, um, pick up all your rocks, and you can just throw them over here. All right. So as we have this conversation, he, he talks about the layers of sin. And and so it's not just behavior modification that we're talking about, like be a good person and then God will probably like you. That's not what we're after. In fact, the, the, the invitation here is that God loves you as you are and he wants to heal you and to save you from that sin condition. That's a very different narrative. And so he talks about four layers of sin, if you will. And again, kind of stay with me in this definition. The first two layers of sin deal with what, what, what he would say the scriptures speak to clearly. And so like the first layer he talks about is, so I'll give you my example. When I was uh, uh, not a Christian, this is kind of like cultural norms, things we just kind of consider like probably good things to do, like don't kill people and don't lie and like, don't rob banks and don't commit adultery, right? Like, like something, I, I wasn't a Christian, but those seemed like probably pretty good things not to do. You guys tracking with me? Like those, so there's like first level sins that kind of like a, a lot of the world, not everybody, but like there's a majority of, of, of the world that agrees with that space. And then there's like a second layer that he talks about that are still where scripture speaks plainly, but they might be countercultural to the culture that we live in. And so for me, here's what it looked like. Pre-Jesus, I was like, cool, don't kill anybody, don't lie, and go to heaven when you die. That was kind of my understanding of if, if, if there was a God, that's how it's going to work. I met Jesus. He changed my life. And it was like a month into following Jesus where, where I learned that pornography was a sin because of the issue of lust. And I'm like, oh, 
cool. Well, maybe we should, and then, and then messing around with my girlfriend was not exactly God's plan for my life. And I'm like, oh. And I had values and ideas that then were met up against some very clear stuff in Scripture that I just never read. And oh, maybe God has a better plan for me when it comes to relationships than the way that I've been doing it. And so you guys tracking with me? This is my agreement. This is my transition as a 15, 16-year-old into some of the behavior-ish things that are going on, on the outside. Now, it goes on because like, you're like, okay, cool. You might have a list. And by the way, if you're like, oh, what's the list? Well, you can read the scriptures for yourself and begin to dig into where, does the scriptures, where do the scriptures uh, speak plainly? And can we trust God in that space? But then it moves into what he calls unconscious sin. So over time, as you follow Jesus, in love, he starts to reveal things in you that are ugly and broken and bent, and, and they're not as easy as behavior modification. And if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, you probably are aware of this. What we maybe would call blind spots. They're really tricky. They're really frustrating. So this can be like patterns of thinking and feeling. And, and by the way, the reason this matters is because all of us have this stuff inside of us that we wish wasn't that way. We have things we wish we could do and we don't do it. We have ways we wish we would respond and we didn't respond that way. And we have things we wish we would have done and we didn't do. And so there's this tension inside of us and that's what Jesus is after. And so we're like, cool, don't murder. I got that one. But then anger and yelling that goes deep inside turns into bitterness and all of a sudden I'm filled with contempt. Well, the problem with that is that can be going on the inside and you have no idea about it on the outside. Behavior modification doesn't necessarily deal with what's going on in my heart, which Jesus says, hey, those two are connected. And so all of a sudden, well, wow, uh, wh wh where's this anger issue coming from? And also this includes like sins of omission. So it's not just what I'm doing, but also what I'm not doing that I didn't love or serve and that I, sh I didn't say something when I should have. I didn't stand up over here. I didn't, whatever it is. And this also includes motivations, which are so tricky, right? Motivations are the weirdest thing to spot. Like, I mean, I've heard that people have issues with motivations. I never have any of those. Like, you know, every week when I'm speaking to you, there's never any messed up motivations. I'm never worried about if you're going to like me or not. I'm never worried about if you're going to come back, you know, based on a heart. I'm never, you know, those are not my issues, but I've heard they're issues for other people. And so motivations are tricky, aren't they? And so you're like, well, how do you, they're blind spots. You know why they're called blind spots? Because you can't see them. They're so tricky. So the first two layers, they deal with behavior, which matter. But here, here's what I want you to get. Jesus seemed to be, and I, I could be wrong here, but Jesus seemed to be more bothered by the self-righteousness of the Pharisees than like the woman caught in the act of adultery. Both are an issue for Jesus, but he seemed to be bothered as in, I think maybe my pride is a little bigger of a deal internally with its consequences and how it's affecting others than just what's happening with someone else's hands. Again, not that it doesn't all matter. It does matter to Jesus, but behavior is not enough. Now, here's what Pete Scazzaro from that book we were talking about, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, calls your shadow side. Your shadow is the accumulation of untamed emotions, less than pure motives, and thoughts that, while largely unconscious, strongly influence and shape your behaviors. It is the damaged but mostly hidden version of who you are. And so what we're talking about is dealing with our false self. And, and it's really tricky because in the language of Jesus, we're talking about going from our old self to our new self or, or from our false self to our true self. And early on, here's what happens. As you grow up, when you're a child, and the Enneagram would speak to this if you're familiar with that tool, we, we begin to believe lies that we're not loved for who we are 
right? So, so you know, my, my kids are five and seven, and they've got their own sets of brokenness, and dad has his own sets of brokenness, and, you know, I'm doing everything I can not to be a father wound to them <laughs> as they grow up, right? But, like, you watch this brokenness, and what, what you learn in the patterns of growing up is you're not loved for who you are, meaning your brokenness, right? It's not welcome when it shows up. And so what do we do? We learn to put on these false masks, and we learn to change, and we learn to uh, uh, adjust who we are in order to be favored or presented in a certain light. It doesn't mean that that part of our brokenness is not there, right? You just learn, hey, if I change my behavior here, I get these results. If I change over here, I can be welcomed over here. And so what happens is, as you and I grow up, and this is part of the human condition, we learn to hide parts of ourselves, don't we? That th- this brokenness, especially, and here's, here's the really hard part, is that brokenness, hidden long enough, and, and, and kind of pressed into this false self, if you and I believe that lie long enough, it actually becomes reality, doesn't it? So some of the things that are natural for you today are were not actually reality when you started. So, uh, by, by the way, I heard Jim Berg say this earlier this week, and I thought it was really good. Guilt and shame and regret, when, when they show up as conviction from the Holy Spirit, th- those are good things when they're temporary, meaning like, like guilt is an okay emotion because I'm probably guilty. Shame is an okay emotion when I'm ashamed of what I've done. Like, those are not bad things in and of themselves because they're meant to get our attention. Like putting our hand on the stove warns us that this is, you know, there needs to be a change in behavior, if you will. So guilt and shame, regret, those things are not bad temporarily if, they're, if, if it's coming from the Holy Spirit for the purpose of helping us identify what's wrong and broken and, and the need for change. But guilt and shame and regret as identity are not from the God who loves you. And it's really important that you and I can understand the difference. And so here's the deal. You and I, we need to know ourselves as deeply loved by God. It's the whole, whole point of last week's message. Deeply loved by God. With all of your brokenness and all of the beautiful wrapped inside, you are deeply loved by God as you are. Jesus did not show up at Matthew and say, I love the potential in you. Let's, let's figure the rest of that out. Clean up a little bit and, and then we'll have dinner together. Jesus showed up and loved him completely right where he is. David Benner says it this way. He said that God doesn't love the picked up version of me. He loves the real me with all of the good and all of the brokenness. And it's in that space that we come to the healing, that Jesus can't heal what we're not willing to acknowledge. And so here's a quote for you to, to wrestle with as we begin to lay in the plane. I'm going to invite Daniel, to, or I'm sorry, Kari to come up to play the keys and we'll begin to to wrap up this, but one of the key tasks of our apprenticeship to Jesus is to take off the mask of our false self, to face our shadow side head on, and to purge sin from our life in order to step into our identity and calling. Now again, the problem with this is that we are blind to our blind spots, and so the the human capacity towards self-deception is crazy, isn't it? Like we are so good at self-deception. And so then Jesus' invitation is what? Pick up your cross and follow me. Let the old self die. Let me heal you. Let me make you new. That stuff in you that hurts the people around you, that stuff in you that needs validation, that stuff in you that's broken and looking to fill the gaps. He says, I can heal all of that. I can save all of that. But you and I both know it's not in a moment. It's a journey of letting Jesus see all of our stuff. And knowing in that space, in all of my brokenness, not because of my performance, not because of how much I've weeded out and how much is still there, Jesus loves me. 
And he loves you. And he loves every single person that you come into contact with this week, eyeball to eyeball. Whether they're a follower of Jesus or not, they are deeply loved. The invitation is if we'll let him sozo us, heal us, forgive us, save us. And so one of the ways that I want to equip you to to just kind of crack this conversation open is the tool of the Enneagram that we use here a lot at City Church, and it's just a tool. But the reason we use it is because it deals not just with our strengths and our weaknesses, but it deals with our emotional health. And if you're like me and you're unhealthy and you're immature and and, and you struggle to be transformed by Jesus at times, this is a tool that helps you go deeper than maybe you can go on your own. And so here's a resource that we talk about a lot. I know so many resources, so um, I highly recommend that you pick up this book if you haven't already, The Road Back to You by Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stable. It's an incredible, incredible book on the Enneagram. And the reason this is so helpful is because the Enneagram helps us to distinguish and measure our motivations. But they're really hard to diagnose, right? Like it's really hard to know why you do what you do. It's hard to dig under the surface. If you're an emotional idiot like me, it's really hard to evaluate what's going on on the inside. And so let me just give you a couple of, of, of encouragements. We're going to use this in our city groups this week. We use this a lot at City Church already, but it, it takes you on a journey of self discovery of just understanding your makeup and your person. And by the way, just some encouragement for you. We don't use this tool as a weapon, but this is not to talk about others' numbers. Oh, you're a nine. That's the way, that's why you're the way you are. This is a tool for you, (laughs) right? Jesus says, hey, you got some two by fours in your own eyes before you like try to deal with the sawdust in someone else's eyes. So like we're here for each other and you might have some sawdust, but I got two by fours. Okay. So let's deal with those first. Uh, also, just want to encourage you. Right? We don't label people here. Uh, um, oh, you're such a four. Oh, you're such an eight. Like, we, we don't do that. Why? Because you can't read people's motivations. You can see their activity. You can't see why they did it. And that's one of the tricky parts about the self-discovery journey. And we also don't make excuses, by the way. You know, I did, like, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Through a lot of hard work and processing, I'm an eight. And it doesn't give me an excuse to be a jerk, even though that's part of my unhealthy tendency. Like, oh, I'm just an eight. Nope. No, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm called to love my neighbor. So here's one last quote for you, okay? The Enneagram, this is just a quote out of the book, so you can be encouraged. The Enneagram is not exclusively psychological, nor is it feel-good, self-help, insipid intellectual fare. How awesome is that? When taught correctly. By the way, this is beautiful. If myself could have helped myself, don't you think myself would have done it by now? That is so true. He goes on, and he says, the true purpose of the Enneagram is to reveal your shadow side. That sound familiar to you? And offer spiritual counsel on how to open it to the transformative light of grace. Coming face to face with your deadly sin. It can be hard, painful, because it raises to conscious awareness the nastier bits about who we are that we'd rather not think about. It goes on. No one should work with the Enneagram if what they seek is flattery, (laughs) but no one should fail to do so if what they seek is deep knowing of self, as David Benner cautions. So, bravely on. (laughs) That felt like really good encouragement to end the service. Bravely on. Um, So, as we wrap it up this morning, I I I hope that your challenge, listen, brokenness is a part of the human condition. That's the point. 
And Jesus sees that brokenness and he loves you where you are today. Whether you're a follower of Jesus today, he, he loves all of you. But he's also committed to who you're becoming. So remember, you are not your sin. It's not your identity. It might be your activity, but it's not your identity. You're not your type even. You are deeply loved, a son or daughter of God as a follower of Jesus. And he wants to save us, to heal us, to make us whole. David Benner in that book, he said that you cannot change what you're unaware of. It's a part of this inner journey is bringing our whole selves to God in order to find healing. So a couple of next steps for us today. Number one, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus in the room. I just want you to know the invitation is on the table. Jesus calls all of us to trust in him. And if you've never made the decision to trust in Jesus, know that his love is for you. It's been proven for you. He didn't just come to walk with guys like Matthew. He came to die for guys like Matthew and guys like me and ladies like you. Jesus gave his life in our, in our place for our sin. That he died in our place for that brokenness to defeat it. He was buried. He rose again, overcoming sin, death, and the devil to give us new life and to help us more fully walk into that wholeness of life with God. And so maybe you've never trusted in Jesus, and I want you to know that invitation is open for you today. It's very simple. In your heart and mind, you can say, Jesus, I, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for my sin, and I believe you rose again to make me new. However you would articulate that in your own heart and mind, you can make the decision to trust in Jesus and what he did for you today. And in that space, Jesus makes you new. You begin the journey of becoming who you were created to be. Number two, maybe you need to take your next step through baptism. We're celebrating some baptisms next week. We have three lined up so far. Put your hands together. Let's go. It's going to be an incredible Sunday. If you're interested in being baptized, you are more than welcome. This is an identity statement. We talked about it two weeks ago. We go under the water. We come back up. It's Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's the old me is dead. Jesus has made me new. We do it because Jesus commanded us to, to identify with him. If you've never been baptized since making the decision to trust in Jesus, I highly recommend that you take that step in celebration and identity. Next step. To just continue on the journey of self-discovery through the scriptures and other resources. This is something that, that doesn't just get solved on a Sunday. And so we have tools for you. There's scripture journals in the lobby, Bibles there, tools online, city groups, all of that for you to just keep pressing in to know why you believe what you believe. And then to pick up maybe one or two or five of these books that I've recommended, <laughs> beat the stats, and begin to be transformed. <laughs> just want to encourage you in that. All right, next one. Join a city group. Listen, there's safe places with safe people. Not because we're perfect, but we're committed to Jesus and his way of loving one another. And so if you're not in a city group, I recommend that you join one and dig into community. We're going to process, man, I heard some amazing stories last week from our city groups. We're going to continue on this journey together. By the way, it's okay that you walk in and you don't know everyone up front. Relationships take time, but we're committed to that space. We want to, we want to invite you into it. And lastly, um, I just want to invite us in this next moment as, as the band leads us and you're going to have time to respond, to respond to God's activity, activity, whatever he's done today in our hearts and minds. Let's respond to God's activity through surrender, through repentance, which just means to change the way that I think and to agree with God about something. Praise, receiving prayer, whatever it is that you need today, 
I just want to encourage you to respond. If you're making decisions and we can help you, use that connection card. Let us know. Our prayer team's going to be in the back. They are super friendly and they're very safe and they got breath mints, so their breaths don't stink, right? Like they got no coffee breath for you. But they'd love to join you in prayer over whatever you're going through. Or you might need to pray for someone else or whatever it is. It's going to create space to respond appropriately to what God's doing, okay? Will you bow your heads with me? As we bow our heads and close our eyes, we're just going to take a moment to reflect and respond to what Jesus is doing in our own hearts and minds. Jesus, none of us are strangers to the bent parts of ourselves, to the broken parts of ourselves. There's also the reality that we're blind to a lot of it too. And there's this incredible space of you revealing something in love and it's actually for our good so we can be free from it. That you came to call sinners like me and like us, but for the purpose of saving, for the purpose of healing, for the purpose of making us new. Our true selves, our whole selves in you. Jesus, remind us of the truth this morning. Everything that's true about you is true about us because of what you've done on our behalf. God, whatever it is that you, you, you've put on our hearts and minds, the things that are blockades in our relationship, things we've been holding on to that are in the way of the relationship that we can have with you. Jesus, would you lead us to surrender them? Could we trust you in that today, that maybe your way is better? Holy Spirit, do whatever you want to and lead us in that space. May we, may we be not just hearers, but doers of what you called us to. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.